This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Uh, We're taping a day earlier this week, but lots going on. Um, as we know, last week we, we hinted about the 10-game schedule coming and it ended up coming out. Um, they, I guess they haven't come out and said it's going to be 10 games, but a Big Ten-only schedule uh, that ended up coming out uh, on Thursday last week. We taped on Wednesday, and here we are now um, really with nobody knowing what's next. All we know now today is both the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have said they will play league-only schedules um, the Big 12 has said it's too early to say. Uh, the ACC is rumored to be heading that direction. Um, the SEC hasn't said much yet. They're kind of waiting. Um, but now, yeah, it's just kind of trying to salvage things, basically trying to salvage the TV money, the revenue pot there. Um, and, and, and nobody knows what tomorrow brings um, as we kind of try to monitor the coronavirus cases. And I, I think, you know, the, the old joke on social media with every coronavirus post, wait two weeks, wait two yeah. weeks. Well, I, I think that's kind of where it's at with college football right now. I think everybody really wants to evaluate now the next two weeks. We're, we're going to talk more about workouts going into organized form this week uh, in our next segment. But players are doing more. Weight rooms are now fully open with instruction and, and training programs. Players will be in film rooms with coaching staffs now. Um, kind of getting engaged where that's at and obviously where the coronavirus is at two weeks from now. Well, I think what caught a lot of other conferences off guard a little bit last week was how early the Big Ten made that announcement. Obviously, they were the first league to uh, basically come out and say it. You know, We're going to go ahead and uh, move to the next uh, plan here and do conference only, whereas I think a lot of other leagues, especially like the SEC, were wanting to – hold off as long as possible before making uh, such a uh, dramatic decision like that. So, um, you know, the Big Big Ten kind of set the trend there, and obviously the Pac-12 quickly followed, and I doubt they'll be the last league to follow that model um, ultimately when things are said and done. Uh, but, you know, it's what's interesting is that with those, some of those leagues in the, in the South, you have some pretty storied rivalries that would be – you know, temporarily discontinued, you know, some of those, uh, you know, Florida, Florida states and on all those types of things that, uh, you know, mean a lot to their respective states and communities that, um, you know, there's a lot of politics involved with that. So, you know, I think that's kind of why some of those leagues are holding off because they want to wait until it is clear cut. We will not be able to play a full non-conference and conference schedule before they make that type of decision because obviously the impacts of those are pretty hefty well and the team you know conferences like the sec have always resisted even playing more than eight conference games in a year the last thing they probably want to do is play a nothing but conference game so uh, i could see them holding out but i I definitely think the big 12 and and the rest of the other power five conferences will probably follow suit uh, which makes the big 10 look look pretty good and smart in my opinion that they came out they had this in place uh, they look like leaders right now instead of a conference that didn't really have a, play, a plan in place and that are just kind of following the leader. Yeah, it's, it's all about power and money. And the Big Ten and the SEC control that side of things. And these Power Five leagues want total control of the situation, of the schedule. And by staying in-house, you cut out a lot of chefs in the kitchen. You cut out the FCS games. You cut out the group of five games. You cut out non-conference games uh, across other leagues. And I think for the Big Ten – 
you look at this, if they play 10 games, let's say that's where they go, that's 70 Power 5 on Power 5 games that the Big Ten would be able to offer in their television package with Fox and ABC, ESPN, where normally uh, the Big Ten would not be able to offer that many Power 5 on Power 5 games. Like this year, Ohio State at Oregon and Michigan at Washington and Penn State at Virginia Tech, those are Big Ten road games. So those actually aren't a part of the Big Ten's revenue piece. Um, The only real non-conference game of value they lost was Wisconsin-Notre Dame and Lambeau Field, Nebraska-Cincinnati, Michigan State-Miami, if you want to call that one as well. Um, So I think this plan could potentially keep the television revenue as close to whole as possible. And when you're going to take a huge financial bath, if you can somehow keep your biggest revenue piece together, I still believe that's what a lot of this is all about right now. Yeah. And, you know, you're looking at a situation where any revenue you can sustain, uh, I mean, that's top priority. And obviously TV money is a substantial chunk uh, of, of change there. So, yeah, I guarantee you that had a heavy impact on that decision. And I know uh, this week on our uh, weekly uh, Red Sea Schools tra- uh, chat, weekly chat, uh, somebody asked, you know, if there's any advantage the Big Ten got to making this decision, you know, earlier, in some cases weeks earlier than other leagues. I don't know. I mean, maybe just being able to get the ball moving on some of the logistics involved in terms of uh, formulating a schedule and working out travel and all that sort of stuff. You know, maybe there's an advantage there. But really, I think, uh, you know, like we said, Nate, being kind of the pioneers once again and setting the tone for the rest of college football, you know, the Big Ten has kind of made a habit of doing that. If there's an advantage, it might be financially. It might be with the, you know, having those um, those games in place for TV, you know, to buy or to, to line up and go ahead and schedule. You know, if the, if the Big 12 and, and the ACC and all these other conferences don't have any games lined up yet, everything else is still kind of up in the air, but yet the Big Ten has a full-out 10-game schedule lined up uh, that they can sell to TV. I mean, that, that may be the advantage. I don't know if, you know, there's obviously not going to be a recruiting advantage or, or even an on-field advantage, I don't, I don't believe, but it may be financial. Yeah, there'll be less – if this plays out, you just wonder what happens to the group of five. I think Notre Dame, what's going to happen there is they play six ACC games. So if you're the ACC, right now you're trying to figure all this out with the plan that keeps Notre Dame on your schedules – and then also you've got you know a lot of teams in the ACC that, that play an SEC non-conference game. And I think the ACC and the SEC want to salvage Georgia, Georgia Tech, Kentucky, Louisville, uh, Miami, or I'm sorry, Florida State, I think, plays Florida. I mean, there, there's some really, really big cross-conference games that, hey, maybe the ACC and the SEC are like, we're going to do an 8 plus 2 or 9 plus 1 model um, to keep those. Like Arkansas plays Notre Dame. So that, that would be another way to, to try to keep things. But maybe they want to try to at least play a Sunbelt game or two and, and keep that league. But, man, when, when you worry about just testing protocols yeah. and, and things out there. Uh, but testing, guys, I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of questions about um, that process because you could test for COVID-19 on a Wednesday, get, not get the results back for two to three days, contract the virus on Thursday, Friday, and be positive and not know. So I have my real questions about, you know, just testing and truly understanding and knowing if you're sniffing out every case of the virus. Well, testing is clearly not the end-all be-all solution to this. It's a big piece of the puzzle, but, uh, you know, I think that, you know, we agree that maybe the biggest issue at hand here is how schools handle positive cases and how they monitor uh, you know symptoms and guys that uh, are showing signs of maybe having it 
you know, how quickly are they able to identify those players, isolate those players, test those players, and then act accordingly. I mean, that's going to be a constant daily, hourly uh, job for everyone involved within a football program. And it's going to a lot of it depend on the players being accountable and not hiding it when they're feeling symptoms, uh, feeling symptoms. I mean, they have to be honest and, you know, make sure that uh, their selfishness and just wanting to play doesn't backfire and end up in a full-blown spread throughout your football team. Yeah, it's it's totally how you handle the the positive cases, not just how, how you're testing or how often you're testing. I, I think it is all about how you handle positive cases. Uh, and there's going to be positive cases, but I think if you're if you're following the proper guidelines and, and doing it the right way, you should minimize the overall risk. Um, going back to Notre Dame, if I'm in the ACC, I'm, I'm kind of pissed off if Notre Dame gets to do an ACC schedule, basically. Well, they have, a, like, part, they have a partnership, though, with the league, and the reason the ACC TV deal is worth what it is is because of those Notre Dame games. Notre, yeah. I still feel like Notre Dame gets to call their own shots. and They're, they're in the ACC for basketball. I know, they're, I know basketball, and that's, and that's a little bit different. But as a football school, I, I would just – I don't know. They just would rub me the wrong way. It's like they get – they get whatever they they get all the benefits of being in the conference, but yet not totally being in the money conference. is yeah. power. That's why no one's going to be sad to watch Notre Dame scramble I to try and be. fill out a football schedule. Well, if they get six <laughs> ACC games like they have on their schedule to keep, maybe they keep Arkansas. Then they, they they'll play Navy or Army. Maybe BYU jumps on their schedule. I mean, they'll Notre Dame will be able to get ten games. Oh, I, and I have no doubt that they that they won't be able. You know that they'll be able to put something together. But I don't know if I'm an ACC school, <laughs> that would still kind of. Rub me the wrong and way. And the problem is the ACC doesn't have any brands right now yeah. other than Clemson. Other than Clemson. So yeah. you need kind of another heavyweight on your TV package. And those three ACC home games with Notre Dame are worth as much as any game for the, the ACC conference. Mm-hmm. And so would, I guess this is a total sidetrack, but would NBC still have the, the rights to the Notre Dame games? Home games. Be, Notre Dame home games. And then the ACC would be able to handle the road games? Yeah, so anytime Notre Dame leaves their stadium – that's gotcha. where the value is. Like when they play Navy, all of a sudden CBS airs that game gotcha. because Navy's gotcha. part of the CBS package. Um, so, yeah, it's always who's Notre Dame going to travel and play because then the networks all want that game. Um, so, like when USC and Stanford host Notre Dame, mm-hmm. you know, Fox is going to go out of their way to add that game because the ratings. I mean, Notre Dame consistently will pull the highest ratings um, of anybody along with maybe Ohio State and Alabama. Yep. They're the Dallas Cowboys of college football. <laughs> Minus Joe Buck doing every game with Troy Aikman. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it will be interesting to see kind of where all this goes. And, you know, time is, is really what to watch. And um, we're going to keep this discussion going because there's a lot to talk about. I mean, everywhere we go, we, we joked on our chat this week, everybody wants to know, are, are we going to play ball? And So um, we're going to play football this season? You know, and, and it's like, God, I wish I knew guys. I wish we knew. And nobody knows. Nobody um, and I, I think it's it's hope, it's optimism, um, but there's also some reality involved, and, and that's the battle um, where this whole entire country's at with everything from kids going back to school to college football uh, being played um, to to restaurants staying open. I mean, it's just nobody really has an answer, and uh, we'll continue this discussion when we come back. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett as we continue this discussion um, about the ever-moving college football calendar. Now, the calendar did turn this week as well. Um, Starting Monday, uh, college football teams entered what's called the organized workout phase. 
Um, if, if you've paid attention, it's been pretty dark on social media. Um, the team has been on campus, you know, doing workouts since June 1. A lot of guys have been in Lincoln the entire time doing workouts at different places. Uh, but this week was kind of the first week we've gotten a glimpse of the Husker football team really back at it. And um, Zach Duvall, um, you know, gave some tweets, showed some guys like Marvin Scott, the freshman running back, working out, and Cam Jurgens, and then uh, Nash Hutmacher, the true freshman from Chamberlain, South Dakota. Um, just some some teases to kind of get people excited that, hey, you know what, we are in here, we are getting after it, guys are working hard. Um, and this will go on for about two weeks before they go into the mini camp phase. So this week, and then when once they get into the mini camp, Robin, I think those are going to be the mile markers now to watch closely. Yeah, and so, I mean, at least uh, Zach Duvall was nice enough to throw Husker fans a bone. I know we've been asked multiple times about progress guys are making in the weight room. Anybody standing out? Well, he gave you some video evidence of a few of those. That Marvin Scott video, yeesh. That guy does not look like a 18 <laughs> Well, he's a, he's a bodybuilder, right, Nate? Yeah. Well, not a bodybuilder, but he's power lifter. Power lifter. Yeah, he was the Florida State powerlifting champion uh, as a junior, and he and he. Had it not gotten shut down, he probably would have won it as a senior too. I'm assuming. Mm. So, I mean, for his weight class, um, but yeah, that's you don't in Florida, you don't win any yeah, type no of state doubt. championship without being on a different level. So, you know, at least those give you a glimpse that uh, you know it's some positivity. You know, guys are are working and they're they're looking like they're making some pretty good gains. And if there is a season, and we all hope there is, that. Uh, Nebraska's got a lot of players that uh, are going to be ready to potentially make some big jumps this year. And, uh, you know, Cam Jurgens is definitely one that's at the top of that list. Obviously, last year uh, was a bit of a transition for him. Well, he looks uh, full on war daddy right now. Uh, with you look some of the videos you see of him, uh, somebody on uh, Twitter put us to the, a side by side of uh, him at the Friday Night Lights camp. As a freshman, as sophomore a, in high school. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to, and a video of it, the most recent video. Uh, and man, talk about a trans transformation. So you know that's at least some you know sliver of optimism that you know if if we do get football nebraska is going to be ready to go yeah i think it's i think it's good for fans to get any any type of taste of football right now um just to at least feel like things are are normal you know this is this is the type of year or time of year where usually you're hearing some stories about you know what summer workouts are like or, or who's been impressing or what the guys have been doing uh, but really you haven't heard anything uh, up until now and so to get it just to get that glimpse of of the team in the weight room and, and working hard uh, I think is is pretty is pretty nice and kind of refreshing almost to kind of feel like things are somewhat normal right now you're listening here to the Husker Alliance show Sean Callahan Robin Washett Nate Klaus and Nate I, I ran into Nuri Noelli even at the Shrine Bowl the, the Colorado State German exchange shoot he was up to 325 Jeez. and he said he still has a, a 31 32 inch vertical and wow. can, can run a sub five um, but yeah we, we were just kind of talking about the O-line he said yeah Cam Jurgens is our most athletic guy there I mean what he does and you, you look at that move a year ago with Cam Jurgens. I know it was met with some criticism with the struggles they had but I wrote this in the chat on Tuesday. It was kind of one of those, all right, we're going to take one step back, but then we're going to take two steps forward. And you look at now where Jurgens appears to be. He's a leader in that line room. Um, you know, he's got the kind of personality you want to build a line around, and you got him now for three more years. Well, and you just look at the progress he made from game one to the, the finale. I mean, the back half of the season when he finally – settled down and figured out and how he's to, coming off major injuries yeah, and, yeah i mean if people forget that he was almost a, a question mark to even play
play in that opener, and uh, they kind of threw him in there at the last minute. So, uh, you know, he had to kind of hit the ground running, and clearly he struggled with that a little bit. But once things slowed down for him a bit, he got significantly better, and Nebraska's offensive line got significantly better. And I don't think that that's uh, you know, just a coincidence. I think when Cam improved, uh, that set the tone for that entire group. Yeah, not only did he you know, play a new position last year, he hadn't played football for you know, yeah. two, almost two years. I mean, he got hurt his senior year. Um, I think it was a broken foot. And, um, well, no, he had the he had the he broke that he broke his leg. Right. So I think the, his junior year, he broke his foot and then he broke his leg and then he broke his foot again. Um, he had all these injuries, he hadn't played football in like two years, changed positions completely. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he's completely transformed his body. And even, like you said, Robin, from the first game of last year until the final game, he improved so much. And so, um, you know, to see a guy, young guy, who's going to be able to anchor that center position, who's as athletic as he is and has made the strides that he's made is, is pretty uh, pretty refreshing, I think. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as uh, we kind of talk the next steps forward. And, you know, another thing to watch, the Nebraska Shrine Bowl took place this weekend uh, in Kearney, it was the first football game played in the country since the XFL and the Super Bowl back in March. Um, the XFL was the last, I think, actual game played. Um, but what you had were a number of players in Kearney, Nebraska, for a week. They went through full contact practices in a training camp setting. Um, then they played in a game uh, against another team that they weren't practicing with for that entire week. And now those players are back on campus for Nebraska. I believe there's about nine walk-ons um, that return from Kearney. They're undergoing a quarantine process. They will be tested for the coronavirus. If none of those guys test positive, I mean, that that has to be looked at. People need to be like, okay, we've got a case study here. They, they check symptoms. They check protocols. And now these kids are turned back, and they were properly checked out and tested, and there were no positives. Now, and if there are positives, that need, I mean, no matter what happens with these kids that played in Kearney for the Shrine Bowl, I think that needs to be looked at by football experts and people around the country as we try to move forward. Well, I mean, it's the first uh, real example we have of being able to play football in the coronavirus era because it was the first uh, competitive full-on football game that was played since the pandemic really hit so uh you know i mean this is the the first step and if they can get through this without any significant setbacks coronavirus related uh that's going to be a important step maybe just a little step but it's going to be an important step towards getting things uh closer and closer to football this fall and so yeah i mean <laughs> uh all eyes are going to be watching this it's crazy to think that the shrine bowl could have national implications but it does i mean if like you said one way or the other it's like a lab almost yeah if yeah. they if they come out of it clean everybody's going to be pointing to the saying wow hey maybe we can do this maybe there's more optimism for holding a season this this fall but you know if there are uh you know positive cases and it turns out this was a terrible idea you know, that might be the, the final uh, shovel of dirt on the grave there. Well, and, and the thing about it is this was not some sort of impromptu, you know, scrimmage. This was uh, uh, these guys spent a whole week practicing yeah. and there were, you know, training staff involved and coaches involved and, and so many other people aside from the 90 or so players that were involved. So, um, yeah, I think this is like the ultimate case study. If it worked and uh, players come out healthy and, and the coaching staffs and, and even, you know, the medical uh, trainers and whatnot. If everybody comes out of this healthy, um, you know, they're going to look, uh, everyone across the country should look at, okay, what, what are the steps they followed? What was the protocol involved and rules and regulations and whatnot? You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as 
uh, we kind of put a wrap on things. And I wanted to hit on this international issue because for f- Nebraska football, they've got one scholarship player here, not here yet, Daniel Cherney, the punter from Australia. Uh, basketball's got a couple guys. Um, and I, I know they're starting to maybe become some concern for all these athletes, particularly now Cherney with football, that he may not be able to get on the in, into the country uh, with what's going on right now with travel visas. Yeah, with basketball too. I mean, obviously Thor, uh, Thor Bjorn Arson and Ivan Wajerogo are both uh, overseas in their respective uh, home countries, and no one knows. I, you know, I keep getting asked, and, uh, do they have any update on you know, what that time frame looks like? And no, there is no update because it depends on uh, the United States government. And even then, at the next step, uh, you know, the, the respective international countries and what they're allowed to, for people to travel. And so there's a lot of dominoes that need to fall. And given the state of the world right now with this, this COVID stuff, it doesn't look like anything's going to happen anytime soon. And so at least with all three of those guys, basketball and football, they at least have access to first class facilities. I mean, they're, they're going to get their work in. Uh, so from a, a competitive standpoint, they're going to be in shape. But, you know, especially with basketball, uh, the time they're missing just with the, the chemistry building and the, the bonding of, with their new teammates and a you know, completely revamped roster, that's important. And as we saw last year, you can't overstate how important that is. I suppose the other key part, too, is you know, who's, who's involved, who are, who are the people helping these guys. You know, if there were just some, some normal Joe who's not going to be you know, on scholarship playing a you know, major sport at a major university, they may not have the, the proper people in their corner helping them along. So I'm sure that's – that's at least something they have going for them. All right, much more to come here as we'll continue the discussion. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett talking some Nebraska basketball. And, you know, it's kind of been crickets, Robin, on the on the basketball front as far as what's going on and the status of the season. You know, we've seen the non-conference schedule at least. We don't know the Big Ten schedule. But um, on Tuesday, the athletic department at Nebraska sent out uh, a notice to all season ticket holders for basketball um, that uh, renewals have been placed on hold. And, you know, I think we all ha- have a pretty good idea that there's a lot of question on when and if this basketball season will get off the ground. But this was kind of really the first moving part that said Nebraska has at least recognized this as well. Well, yeah, I mean, in the email itself, it said, once we have more clarity on the 2020-21 Nebraska men's basketball season, we will be in touch with you. So that means that uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about where this season is going to go and what it's going to look like, just as it is with football. And, uh, you know, I know that the first issue is is what happens with football i mean that is the uh biggest domino that is going to impact everything else when it comes to collegiate sports Uh, and basketball will immediately know its future based on what happens with football because obviously there's the fall overlap there with the start of the season in november for basketball uh and so there's a lot of contingency scenarios being thrown out there uh you know i know that um rick patino is probably one of the more prominent guys but there's been a lot of discussion about uh pushing back the start of the college basketball season and having a conference only, just like football, a conference only season uh, beginning in January and then just kind of 
picking up with March Madness from there, which, you know, there's a lot of implications that go in there with just like with football, uh, schools that rely on a lot of those non-conference games uh, that would suffer because of that. So, you know, that's definitely something to watch. But then on the flip side of that, uh, Dan Gavitt, who is in charge of basketball for the NCAA, Uh, put in a recommendation, a proposal to uh, basically coaches everywhere saying maybe we should look at moving up the start of the season by a couple weeks and starting in late October uh, to try and get in as many games as we possibly can before, uh, you know, potential uh, second shutdown here later on this winter. So, I mean, just like football, every possible idea is being thrown out there. And uh, it's clear that there are a lot of discussions going on 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 alternative plans uh, for what looks to be a uh, shuffled uh, college basketball season this year. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we discuss, you know, Nebraska volleyball is in the same boat. Um, They haven't they don't know the schedule, but they'll learn theirs with football when 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 that gets done. I mean, we we may know a football schedule by next week. Some I would hope by the end of July, I think you're going to have you know, I heard this analogy. August one is kind of the cut, uh, the fish are cut bait time. You know, I, I think by August one, you're going to have to know. I mean, kids start online classes at UNL August seventeenth, and then the on campus portion doesn't begin until August twenty fourth. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, the clock's ticking right now. But once we know about football, then we can really get, get to at least narrow down options for what what basketball is going to be but i mean clearly uh you know the the season ticket stuff going on in nebraska that's just another indication that uh the idea of playing a an unaltered uh 2021 basketball season probably isn't that likely right now but at least with basketball there's a lot more flexibility for one they have more time obviously starting later but uh you know the the logistics involved are so minimal compared to football which is at such a grand scale of all the money and you know personnel and all that stuff that's involved whereas basketball i think there's more of an ability to be flexible at the last minute and so it might be a deal where you know they just try to piece together some sort of non-conference or they just say you know what we're gonna cut bait and go on into the regular season where, you know, maybe you're playing, uh, you know, everybody's playing a 20 game league schedule like the big 10 does. And uh, you're basically crowning your NCAA tournament teams based off strictly conference competition. So as long as there's a tournament, I think college basketball is going to be fine. I mean, that's where the money's made, you know, few programs are revenue sports with basketball, like Nebraska and, and, you know, some of those, those upper tier power five schools and so you know the the idea of missing games it's not nearly as detrimental as it is on a football scale yeah you're listening here to the Husker online show you you think about though like a Creighton you know the the Big East schools I mean their basketball is their football you know UConn's joining the Big East with football but um, you know they they dropped out of Villanova you know you you just think about you know from that level um, Wichita States those Mm -hmm. types of places um, you know, they have to be sweating bullets, especially if it does somehow shift to spring football and we play a spring schedule, which I don't think is realistic. But then all of a sudden what happens to the TV? How do you manage a TV schedule that includes all of your sports from March to June? Well, football will be king. I mean, no doubt. I mean, football will take every primetime slot. And so basketball's exposure is going to be reduced significantly. And so there's going to be consequences with that because, you know, how does that uh, impact TV deals with conferences and all that. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of layers here, but uh, I guess first and foremost, we got to figure out 
what happens with football because then we can at least have a, a somewhat informed discussion and have some idea of what we're working with when it comes to basketball you're listening here to the husker online show now robin um just the international guys for the team still remain that those are the only people not in lincoln at this point yeah so thor is in iceland uh ivan wadrogo's in france and shamil stevenson is still in canada but it's not a deal like the other two uh he kind of had just wanted to stay home a little bit longer and the, the program said that's fine because right now you know all he's missing is just workouts and he can work out at home so uh he's expected to be back uh at the end of the month and there's nothing keeping him from coming so there's no worries there but uh you know with the other two you're talking about two prominent players for one two of the only guys that even played at nebraska last year uh that aren't around right now so on one side those are probably some of the guys that can afford to miss time but on the other side uh you know you would expect both those guys to be you know pretty key pieces to this rotation you want them to you know, gel and work with and you know build all that camaraderie and chemistry with their new teammates uh, a lot of which they've never even met face to face at this point so you know it's kind of wait and see uh, nebraska's hoping sooner than later they can get them here but right now it's totally out of their hands now we know the coaches aren't on the road for aau but there are a lot of tournaments going on because regionally yeah so nebraska's able to play a lot because but like in california i just interviewed a, a recruit nebraska's um, you know for the 2021 class and he can't play anything you know they were supposed every time they have a tournament scheduled it gets canceled because uh california like i think just last week Week, shut down all indoor events once again so and what about if your team if your team left the state that'd be great but you can't practice anyway right? yeah you i mean be- it's really just kind of a jumbled thing where just because of where uh, a lot of the local kids are they can play and so you got guys going all over the place like jason green is kind of he, he his normal team would be mocan elite the nike ybl program uh, but he's kind of just been on loaner to teams that <laughs> want a body. And, you know, if there's a, an opportunity for him to maybe get some exposure, he's kind of just being uh, traded from team to team. So uh, guys are just doing what they can at this point. Um, there are more opportunities for some local kids, so that's good. But on a national scale, uh, it is a total shell of what a normal summer schedule would be. All right, we'll come back. We'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as we're taking your questions in the mailbag. Um, as uh, lots of talk about this week, we had a pretty uh, eventful RSS chat on Tuesday. And we'll get right to the question. I mean, this was, I think we got asked this question about 15 times in different manners, different ways. Um, it became, I think, some guys kind of had fun and repeated the question just because they, they thought it'd be funny to annoy us but uh, will we have college football this year I'm the eternal optimist I think they will figure out a way to play in the fall it might not be as many games as you want it may not look like what you want it to look like um, but I still believe especially if kids get on campus and start classes and professional sports get going here at the end of July like it, they're supposed to um, I think we'll have college football yeah, I'm kind of trying my best to stay optimistic. It's hard uh, with all the, the negative headlines that seemingly pop up by the, the minute. But, you know, the, the fact that Nebraska is still going full steam ahead at least gives you some semblance of hope that uh, there will be some form of football in the fall. I'm in the same boat with you guys. I don't know if, if I'm just telling myself this or what, but I, I believe there's a way. And I think that with as much that is writing on this for – 
uh, every really every college institution out there, I, I think that they will find a way to get it done. And I think they can find a way to get it done. Um, but certainly, I mean, there's there's th- things to be worried about. So we'll see what happens. But I'm I'm telling myself, yes, we will have college football this fall. You're listening here to the Oscar Alliance Show, taking your questions in the mailbag. And the next question, um, and the Cameron Jurgens picture, we talked about this earlier, um, the transformation he made from really early in high school to now. Um, who is the biggest physical transformation from their freshman year to senior year that you can remember? And I only went as far as the current roster, but I'll say Brandon Hymas. I mean, he when you look at current guys on this team, uh, other than Jurgens, uh, Hymas, and I know both of you had some you know names of players from the past fifteen or twenty years that really come to mind. Yeah, I went uh, back a, a ways and uh, went back to Adam Carricker just because uh, I remember the it was like the, the preseason like fall camp press conference that they did, and he showed up and looked like an absolute monster, like out of nowhere. And uh, I went back and he uh, was listed at six six two thirty five coming out of high school, and by his senior year he was up around three hundred pounds, and it was majority muscle so uh that is the one that instantly came to mind for me uh the one of the first ones that came to mind for me was Lydon murtha um that's a very good pick who was always a big guy um you know but he completely transformed his body i don't know if i've ever seen somebody as big uh 300 pounder with a six pack yeah i mean well and he was like he was pushing 320 (laughs) and he had i mean he shredded he had a six pack I, i just i don't know if i've ever really seen somebody with that type of body makeup, that big be that lean. And so, I mean, he's right up there. But, yeah, on the current roster, I mean, Cam Jurgens obviously um, is somebody who's completely transformed his body. But Brendan Hymas has done a really good ben job Stilly. too. Yep. And, and Stilly, yeah, Stilly has really changed a lot. And he's another one who's – I mean, he's he's right around 300 pounds, but he there's no fat on him whatsoever. You talk about Murtha, man. He had some bad luck uh, with all the different injuries. His first injury, I think he tripped or ran into a blocking sled. Yep. Um, he got a staph infection because he didn't wash his practice pants. He wore them several days in a row in August, and that bacteria somehow got into an open cut on his body, and he was out for several weeks with a staph infection. He got in a moped accident. I mean, this is a guy that had so many things go wrong. And then he goes to the NFL Combine, Nate, and he ran the fastest 40 of any offensive lineman. Yeah. And, well, yeah, when he when he went to the Combine, I know we were – we were ex- fully expecting him to run. I forget what this is. It's like a 4.78 or something. Yeah, it was, we were expecting him to run in the low 4.8s, and I'm pretty sure he, he broke 4.8. Um, and he was, you know, 6'7 plus 320 pounds or whatever he was. So it was, that was pretty incredible. Yeah, at that time, when you look at tackle recruits in Nebraska, there weren't too many that had the toolbox Murtha had. I mean, a lot of Osborne's tackles were in, ended up being guards in the yep, NFL. Yep. Like, there just weren't a lot of true tackles, especially in 04 when he got to campus. Well, you think about Callahan's development of linemen, too. I mean, if Murtha would have been able to stay healthy, uh, the ceiling was awfully high for that guy. All right, next question here. If the Big Ten pulls the plug, what are the chances Nebraska tries to get a 500-mile radius-type schedule put together? I think they're exploring that, guys. I really do. I think they're looking into it. The question that we don't know is, would the Big Ten allow it? Is, is there any language in this Big Ten contract with Nebraska that says you can't, you can't do something like this? So that's probably what we need to know more is if it would even be allowed to break off from the league if the league decided not to play this year. I just wonder why it wouldn't be allowed. Maybe just like contractual obligations. with They own the, the brand. Yeah, for... yeah, so maybe that's the thing. Like they can't play games on TV if they were to do that. But 
you know, I would hope that the Big Ten would, you know, ease some of those rules given uh, the chaotic situation we're in and knowing that its member institutions depend so heavily on football being played that if they have the ability, like Nebraska seems to have, to play some form of football, they should be allowed to do it. Yeah, I mean, I would think that if you're the conference, you want to keep your all your members of the conference you know healthy uh, both physically and financially and and if it makes sense and it, you know if, if a team like Nebraska is able to put together um, you know a regional schedule of some sort if the conference play can't go through then you know and that would help keep them financially healthy I mean you would think they'd sign off on that uh, in some form at least so you know yeah I would hope that that would uh, you know that the conference would allow that to happen because uh, if there is no conference football, I would I would definitely like to see that regional schedule come together. All right, Nate, recruiting question here. Terrence Lewis, the five-star linebacker who surprisingly committed to Tennessee, has all of a sudden been tweeting a lot about Nebraska and, 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 and just things like that. Is this kind of a social media game to get attention from Nebraska fans, or is there really something legit brewing with Nebraska and, and Lewis? Well, yeah, so, I mean, for, first of all, um, I won't – I won't say that there's, you know, um, not a a popularity or contest or not not some, you know, social media aspect to this. I, I definitely think Terrence Lewis likes attention, um, and and obviously Nebraska fans are notorious for showing recruits a lot of attention on social media. So, but at the same time, there is interest there, uh, and there always has been interest there. You know, he was he was set to come visit for the spring game before all that got canceled. So um, I do think there's something there. I would not necessarily you know, say that the Huskers are, are a team to beat or that, that he could flip from Tennessee to Nebraska. But I would not rule out a future visit at some point in time. And and if that did happen, then I think Nebraska's chances would uh um, you know, go up exponentially. I, I do think the Huskers would become maybe a legit player for him. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we take your questions in the mailbag. Uh, we're doing our top 40 Huskers right now. Chris Hickman, guys, uh, made the list this week um, in our 30 to 40 range um, as a wide receiver. Do you think he'll be a top five receiver for Nebraska? I think it's debatable. I, I, I don't know if I'm quite ready to put him there, but I think the physicality and the blocking he brings – could really find a role on the team this year well that's what i was kind of thinking when i thought about top five i don't think he's going to like be top five in receiving yards yeah. but when you talk about the game day rotation of you know being able to get snaps that ability to block and his size is uh, something that nebraska doesn't have a lot of and that as we've seen will get you on the on the field i mean kate warner became a factor because of his ability to block and, and so reliable yeah and, and so i mean that there there are ways that you can fast track uh, above guys with you know more stars by their name and, and i think chris hickman uh, he's a talented player and his ability to do those little things that maybe get overlooked i think makes him far more valuable than what people think i do i i, I probably you know, I wish I could kind of go back and, and maybe put him a little higher on my top 40 yeah. rankings. None of us had him rated in our top 30. It's well, hard to yeah. do, though. It, I is, mean, it, it is. is. It's very hard to but do. But he, he, I think we all agree he was right outside our 40. So Andy Kendi from KTV, he had him, uh, where do you have him, at 27th overall. And then Michael Severe from uh, 1620, uh, he had him at 28th. So those two guys got him on the list where I think we all agree he should be. Yeah, and and I, I've been calling him. I, I think that he's maybe the sleeper out of that wide receiver room this year. I, I think that maybe he's getting and overlooked you know obviously Wandell Robinson is going to get a lot of attention Omar Manning Xavier Betts and um, you know even Alante Brown or, or Marcus Fleming I think are all getting you know talked about a lot more 
But I do think that uh, Chris Hickman has the ability to maybe be the surprise out of that group, just given his size um, you know, and, and his ability to block on the edge and, and just be reliable as a whole. And then final question, how do you guys think social distancing will work in the stadium if they go that route? And um, you know, what I envision, obviously, is less people, um, first of all, you know, is 50% the best-case scenario today. If you're being realistic, probably uh, that would be about forty to 45,000 fans in the stadium. Um, which, you know, honestly isn't that bad when you consider there have been games in the last couple of years where only 65,000 fans showed up. Um, yeah. But what type of number would adequately give people the distance? I would expect masks to be made mandatory, but it's a tough thing. I was in the Shrine Bowl in Kearney this weekend, and people had masks on, but once they got to their seat, there was a row of empty space between them. They removed their mask while they're eating their hot dog, and of course, that's the picture I took of the crowd when people had their a lot of people had their masks down when they got to their seats, and people freaked out that there weren't enough masks in the crowd, but the seats were spaced out where you were able to practice social distancing, and that's the debate, you know. If you're in a situation in the stadium where you are further than six feet apart and you can be away, is it okay then to remove your mask or will they require you in the stadium to, to you know, put on your mask? Right now, Governor Ricketts encourages mask use, but it's not a state order. But right now, the University of Nebraska is making it an order on campus. Would that follow over, guys, um, to football games? I, I would assume so. Yeah, I mean, just for liability purposes. But right now, I'm not even thinking about fans in the stands. I mean, I'm just ho hoping they can actually play games. And if anybody can go, great. But uh, I think that's kind of a overly wishful thinking. But if there are, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to space people out significantly, um, you know, limit how many people can even be in the sections. But then the deal is with the Memorial Stadium, I mean, you have a giant trough in the bathroom for, <laughs> you know, people to, to use the facilities. You know, good luck social distancing there. I mean, you know, Nebraska's not equipped to have that type of social Their distancing. sinks aren't automatic. So, like, they're not the ones yeah. that just turn on by themselves. Yeah, the touchless. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's like, you know, there, there are other elements to attending a football game that go beyond where you sit, you know. And so, you know, concessions, how are you going to do all that? So, I don't know. It seems like a big headache that probably isn't worth doing right now. Yeah, I mean, I, in my opinion, if there are fans allowed in the stadium – it's going to be far less than even 50% capacity. I think it would be, you know, 25, 30, 25, 30, maybe, you know, and, and it would be, you know, probably uh, what I've seen before and even go throw back to the, the Korean baseball league, how they've done like the, the checkerboard type of uh, outlay in the stadiums where you've got no one sitting in front of you, no one sitting behind you, or aside from you, it's just kind of a checkerboard type of type of layout. And, and masks will be required, I think, if there are fans in the stands. I think they will require it. Um, now, now, how are you going to enforce that? Or, you know, if someone wants to get a hot dog and they want to take their mask off to eat it, you know, I don't know. Uh, there's, there's a lot of a lot of questions that brings up. But like Robin said, I think – First things first, let's 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 just get football, and then we'll figure out uh, if fans can go. All right, when we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting, including Junior College's decision on uh, moving on to the spring. We'll get Nate's thoughts on that and more. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, talking recruiting as this segment of the Husker Online Show Brought to you by our friends at Coogler Vision. Nate, uh, give us the latest and greatest over at Coogler Vision. Well, it's been close to a year since I've had my procedure done at Coogler Vision to correct my vision. And 
um, you know, looking back at it, you know, I, I like to do business and, and spend my money with people that do things the right way. And that's definitely Kugler vision. I can tell you from the very first time I had my first consultation through now almost a year since uh, they corrected my vision, uh, it has been the right way every step of the way. And I cannot recommend them more. And it, it, I encourage you to go to kuglervision.com, take the quiz to see what type of uh, uh, procedure fits your vision needs and, uh, you know, have them help you. All right, Nate, as we talk recruiting now uh, for Nebraska, I wanted to get on this note first. Junior college, they announced that uh, the season will be pushed to the spring. Um, I think an eight-game schedule maximum with a national championship game over uh, the first week of June, uh, first Saturday of June, which is kind of cool in some ways. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what, maybe I'll make it to a lot more Iowa Western games than I normally can make it to, but maybe we'll be covering Nebraska at the same time. But it just – you know, I was talking to Josh Lynn at the Shrine Bowl, the UNK head coach, about this, and just the nightmare these JUCOs are going to have first semester, just trying to manage kids and academics without the football carrot in front of these kids yeah. to keep them on track and focused. Uh, it sounds good in theory that JUCOs moving, but the recruiting piece to it, um, just all these things. Um, that they're going to have to manage. It's not going to be easy. That's going to be a nightmare. I mean, it's a logistical nightmare, I believe, for coaches, you know, especially coaches maybe that aren't quite as established at their current school. You know, like a Scott Strohmeyer at Iowa Western. You know, he's been there a long time, um, and he has everything kind of set the way that he wants it to run, and and it does. I mean, he, it runs about as seamlessly as any junior college program in the country, and so I don't know if his program will be as impacted as a lot of others will be. Um, but, you know, and I, you feel for the kids too. I mean, if you're a junior college guy that maybe redshirted your freshman year and we're hoping to really have a – you know, put together a really good season – um, or have a good spring practice where a bunch of coaches are going to come out and see you and evaluate you and kind of get your name out there and then to put together a really good um, you know season in the fall to get recruited you know and now that's not happening so what are these guys supposed to do are they supposed to basically burn an extra year of eligibility to play uh, in the spring in, in hopes that then they will get seen um, you know it, there are some guys out there that have offers that, that are kind of national type of recruits right now. And if they graduate in December, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they'll be fine. Uh, they'll, they'll find a place to, to go and to uh, transfer to a four-year school. But um, yeah, that's, that's definitely, I think a nightmare, um, you know, especially with a lot of these guys that, you know, that's their football is, is how they kind of stay focused. You, you mentioned the football being kind of that carrot to keep guys on track and, um, that's how it operates with probably 85% of junior college prospects. And, and now you don't have that. So I think you're going to have a lot of guys kind of fall off the track, uh, fall through the cracks, so to speak. Um, and it's, it's going to impact an awful lot. Plus, it, college coaches, if, um, you know, if there's not football this fall or even if there is, you know, sometimes it's not until later on in the season when you really figure out, hey, we, need, we have an immediate need for a junior college kid to come in and play this position. Um, well, if there's no junior college football, it's going to be kind of hard to, 
to go out and find that outside linebacker that you need to, to fill that position immediately. Um, and so it's just it's it's a weird deal. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work. Uh, but I do think that, uh, you know, if you, you're going to have to at least maybe think about maybe a, a late junior college signing period, possibly for some of these guys. Or, I mean, there's so many questions I think it, it raises that it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah. And you just wonder, Nate, how teams will be able to manage a 25 man NLI spot line for Juco guys. I mean, now with the transfer portal and the potential one time transfer rule going into effect. A lot of these Juco guys are going to have a hard time maybe finding quality power five options if you're a late bloomer. Mm -hmm. Now, Omar Manning's not going to have problems, but yeah. the, the late bloomer guy is going to have problems. Yeah, the guys that have, you know, 15, 20 offers already to their name before the season even starts, those guys would be just fine. Uh, they, they have no problem. But like I said, it's it's the guys that redshirted their, their freshman year at whatever Juco they're at um, and that were, you know, went ahead and, and grew or, or developed and now they're you know they're a legit d1 prospect that um that weren't able to be seen in the spring and now they're not going to be able to be seen in the fall those are the guys that that are really negatively impacted by this you're listening here to the husker online show nate you were at your first camp of the year um you know that that was uh you know, just for you i'm sure um regardless of what prospects were yeah. there did you shed a tear yeah. walking out and seeing kids playing football i mean i, I know when i walked out in carney at the shrine Bowl, i was like it was kind of you know it was hard not to get a little emotional just to think about what the last several months have been like that something that we love so much has been taken away and you know everything in this country has been taken away from people and just to, to get a taste of it in in that setting in salina with 500 or so kids there that'd be kind of cool yeah it was it, it definitely i mean you take things for granted sometimes and and uh you know sometimes in the past you know when you when you're going to 15 to 25 camps a year and and uh you go to a showcase where there's 450 kids and you don't know very many of them you you uh, you may have been like you know gosh dang it like how how am I going to figure this out and put this puzzle to, together um, you know but now you know maybe you used to take some of those things for granted and um, I definitely didn't last weekend it was it was very kind of refreshing get a little extra bounce in your step being out there and and seeing you know 450 plus kids out there working and, and trying to accomplish their goals and, and competing and everything. And I mean, it was a lot different. I mean, you had, you had the kids wearing masks and the only time they really took them off is when they were um, running, or, the 40. running the 40 or, or doing their, their pro agility or whatever. And, um, you know, and there was no one-on-ones, there were no, no contact or whatever because of the, the current guidelines in Kansas. But it was uh, it was a very good event, uh, and for the size of it, I, I thought it was very well run. And, and uh, I think you have to tip your hat to uh, to Jake Sharp and Sharp Performance there in Salina, Kansas, for putting it together. Because these kids have been starving for an opportunity to go out and compete and to show what they can do and, and to get some more exposure. Um, because they've they've not had it. They spring football was or the spring evaluation period was taken away from them. Um, you know the the month of camps in in June uh, on college campuses and satellite camps and whatnot was all taken away from them. So uh, this was a great deal, and and uh, I'm looking forward to um, you know Warren there at Warren Academy, Steve Warren uh, putting one on in in uh, Nebraska here in a couple of weeks too. 
Yeah, it, it had to be fun just to get out there and see. Um, I know you know a lot of big 2021s weren't there. It was a lot of 22s and yep. 23s. Yeah, it was a lot of underclassmen. Um, you know, and, and then there were also you know a lot of uh, maybe the more the under the radar 2021s, the kids that are heading into their senior year that. Um, that either have no offers and they're still kind of searching or, or maybe some that that have some offers from smaller schools that are maybe on the cusp of of gaining more serious attention from some power five schools so um, you know Nebraska was well represented down there at, at the sharp performance showcase uh, uh, you know Sam Scott the 2021 linebacker from Omaha North did extremely well he was one of the top overall performers um, you know and, and then you had uh, um, Caden Helms there at Bellevue West, who's a 2022 wide receiver slash tight end, uh, who was also uh, very impressive in my opinion. One of the better skill position underclass skill guys uh, at, at the at the event. So both those guys did extremely well. All right, well that wraps it up. Uh, make sure you're on Husker Online as lots will be coming out here in the coming days, coming weeks as we try to navigate our way to a start of a 2020 football season. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 